This week on a lively experiment, the Rhode Island House of Representatives returns to its chamber for the home stretch of this year's session. We have an interview with Speaker Sakarchi on what to expect. And the Education Commissioner remains under fire from the Providence Teachers Union, an ally of hers, responds. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on this week's Reporters Roundtable, Patrick Anderson, State House reporter for the Providence Journal, Target 12 investigator Steph Machado, and Ed Fitzpatrick, reporter for the Boston Globe. Welcome to Lively, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us. Like many things these days, it's something we haven't seen since early 2020. The House of Representatives in session at the State House, no plexiglass and lots of mingling. As the calendar turns to June, it's crunch time for a lot of legislation. I sat down with Speaker Joe Sakarchi on Wednesday to talk about being back and some of the discussions going on about next year's budget. I'm excited to be back. I think my members are. I think you saw that yesterday on the floor. There was a little bit of excitement, almost like that first day of school kind of thing. And I think it sends a good signal to the public that, you know, we're here working and that the pandemic is coming to an end. And I say to people, uh, you know, we're not in a pandemic anymore. We're in a recovery. And this is just another step. It's a visible step. And it's a symbolic one, but I think it's an important one. The resources that we have, a little bit more of an abundance this year than we thought in the beginning of the year, are all one time one-time benefits. We also have a lot of deficits. People don't realize, just for example, LNS Later Hospital is going to be running a deficit, so that needs to be plugged. People look at the revenue and they say, oh, your revenues are up, but look, our expenses are up as well, too. So we have to balance all that. We're going to have a budget caucus soon with our membership. Uh, we're going to find out what's the best way to do it. The important thing or the beneficial thing is next year, through the summer and the fall, we will have an additional amount of federal money. And as I try to strive publicly and privately to my membership is that money is really not to be spent. That money is to be invested. I want to use that money to help Rhode Island in the long term. There's a lot of uh, legislators who have been here a long time and they know that we go through cycles and it might be in a good cycle at the moment, but they, we all know that the bad cycle is coming where the revenues go down, expenses continue to go up. We need to make sure that we balance all of those things and, and hopefully smooth over those big steep inclines and decreases. And while the House is in session, the Senate has decided to finish out the rest of this year at Rhode Island College, where they have been since the beginning. Of course, the House was at the Veterans Auditorium for a long time. Patrick, so we're heading into crunch time. And I talked with Spe Speaker Sakarchi about being back um, and that this is really the time. The hearings are pretty much done. It's the budget we're looking for at this point, right? Yeah, the budget is next. They're going to be they're negotiating that right now. We're going to see how they deal with having extra money, this federal money. Um, whether, whether anyone's going to get their wish list or not, or how they're going to maneuver that into future years. And we're also looking for maybe surprise issues coming up. There usually is towards the end of the year. You've got things that, that weren't on the agenda for <coughs> months before kind of sneak out. Uh, maybe something having to do with hospitals. We've got a big hospital merger uh, in the works. Um, there's still guns out there. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of issues um, in, in addition to all the stuff with the budget and spending. This is one of the first times we haven't 
face like a $300 million deficit. But as Speaker Sakarchi said, that's good news and bad news, because if people think you're just filling the hole, that's going to be problematic. Right. It took a lot of the pressure off, I think, for this year's budget. But it'll be interesting to see what guidance they get from the federal government and how they can use that money and how much they put away for future use. And, yeah, as Patrick said, there are a lot. Of, there are still some outstanding issues. There's the gun bills. There's the marijuana bill, uh, what form that might take. And if it's kicked to a fall session, uh, a pay equity bill. And even, you know, what are they going to do with all the plexiglass in the House, you know? <laughs> Stuff. Well, there's also, in addition, potentially something that could happen with the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights. That still needs to potentially come to a compromise. There's people that want to get rid of it, which seems unlikely, but reforming it could potentially still be on the table. So sort of a lot to do in the next three weeks, and that's why we might see some issues like marijuana <coughs> legalization get pushed off to a potential fall session. What about, you know, I remember your outrage last time you were on was the Providence City Council. We'll get to Providence in a minute. The whole uh, the budget not coming, government by Zoom and public yeah. access. Talk about what it's been like cover, covering government this spring. Well, I mean, look, the fact that you can watch on Zoom and, and watch from home has obviously <coughs> been good for the public who can't necessarily get down to City Hall, get down to the State House to watch these public hearings. But there's no doubt that it's also restricted access in the sense that you can't speak to your elected official after the meeting and express concerns to them. You can't access necessarily hand out documents during the meeting that they're talking about or voting on. Um, Providence has done a good job trying to get those uploaded online as soon as possible, but I, other municipalities don't necessarily do that. So I think, you know, Zoom was, <coughs> Zoom was good for health concerns during the pandemic, but um, as soon as it's safe to go back in person and everyone's vaccinated, I don't think that Zoom meetings should be the way of the future, but sh they should still keep streaming their meetings even when they go back in person so people can keep watching them as they're accustomed to doing from the past 15 months. Yeah, the House Minority Leader, Blake Filippi, has a bill in. He's put it in every year for years uh, to continue doing uh, remote meetings. And, you know, I think there's nothing better than having the, the, the boards come together, the committees come together. But for the public, you know, if you've got kids at home, it really did kind of open up government for a lot of people. So I hope we take the good away from it, but uh, get everybody back in the same room. Yeah, it, it will be odd if there are ever meetings that are not recorded in some form. I mean, right before the pandemic, the Senate, the state Senate was not even recording audio to post of their, of some of their <laughs> committee hearings. So I, I think people are going to find it odd if we ever go back to a system where you have to be there and there is no access to electronic access to what goes on in these meetings. You know, Ed, you were at that, I believe you were at that uh, news conference. You know, they did the little presser in the stateroom on Tuesday. Yes. You're sitting off and I couldn't see you behind the camera, but I heard you asking questions. We asked the governor about this whole access, you know, opening up the, the state house. It's open nine to three now. And if the legislature's coming at four, clearly we can get in. But what message does that send? Now, Speaker, Speaker, Speaker Sakarchi told me, the the public hearing phase is pretty much over. Now we're going into the voting and all that. But what message does it send? We asked the governor about that. If it closes at three and everything else is opening up, why isn't the state house? Open? Yeah, I, after I left that press conference, I wandered down the wrong hallway past some velvet ropes, and the, the <laughs> Capitol Police were like, "Yeah, where are you going?" I didn't get tased or anything, but it, it, it does raise the you know that's the people's house. I think they should open it up as quickly as they can. Yeah. We, 
Go ahead. And, and, it be, and I think it leads into almost the bigger question of we're still in a state of emergency. And, and <laughs> When's McKee, that going to end? Well, McKee, that was the question that was posed to McKee, and his answer was not particularly specific or, or meaningful. I think he said something like, when it makes sense, but not exactly what that means. And, and before, before he was governor in the transition phase, he did say mid-May, and he said, I, I will look at it when 70% of the adults are vaccinated. We've passed that point. So I think he at least could be a little more specific about what his guidelines and measurements are. So there was some confusion even within the press corps. Our uh, resident historian, Steve Clampkin, I'm asking, does, does the who controls the state house? And, you know, Gina Raimondo would have you believe last year she was calling the shots. Steve insisted that it was the legislature. I asked Speaker Sakarchi that and he said, oh, it's the Department of Administration. So, you know, it's one of, <laughs> yeah. it's one of these things. There's a separation of powers yeah, issue there. Exactly. Well, think, we can't step I on think, their toes. I think the governor controls. Well, listen, the governor's in charge of the Capitol Police. So if he tells them kick people out at three, they're going to kick people out at three. But the who comes into the House and Senate hearings, I think, is up to the legislature and the courts do whatever they want also. So they're keeping their mask mandates and their rules in place, regardless of Governor McKee, you know, lifting restrictions. Don't you think one of the big concerns was we've seen this on abortion, we've seen this on the guns, filling the rotunda, you know, hundreds of people and all of that, that just for this session, maybe they were worried about that. It's easier for them not to have to worry about that, both in terms of public health and just I, I'm sure they found it kind of convenient and nice and easy easier not to have uh, hundreds of people swarming uh, the building until all hours of the night and the morning and having to negotiate some of that stuff. So, it, you know, it, it makes it a little easier for them to deal with the last parts of the session to, to be able to restrict some of that stuff and, and, um, and, and keep people from going wherever they want. Is there any reporter's pool on the over-under on the date? We used to do that back in the day when I covered the State House. It was like, all right, June 29th, and if you spill into, you know, July 4th, do you have any feeling? I guess it depends uh, on when the budget June, comes I out, guess, right? I guess, is the best guess at this point. Yeah, if they're talking about coming back in the, in the fall, uh, then, then probably they will get out, I think. Last week of June. Before the end of June. Speaker Sakarchi did assure me he was going to continue the Nick Mattiello tradition of being done, whatever it was, 9 o'clock, 10, 10, 10 o'clock. I remember walking out of that state house with Kathy Gregg, watching the sun come up one year. We were covered back in the late 80s. And they used to do that regularly. Then, of course, it would take you four months to figure out what they passed, right? In August, you'd be like, oh, they passed that bill. Mm -hmm. So is that your thought, maybe maybe late June? Yeah, I would, I would, I would say I don't, I don't think I think with if they're coming back to do maybe like a, a joints and judges session in the fall of including marijuana and and confirming some judges, then they don't have to get everything done if there's something sticky towards the end of June. All right, uh, Providence has been in the news a lot. Particularly, we talked for months about the state takeover two years ago, the pandemic hit, and now. Uh, with the superintendent leaving, say, Harrison Peters under a cloud, uh, the focus goes back to the uh, commissioner, uh, Angelica Infante Green. And now that these charges, she addressed it last night at, at a meeting about racism coming in. I'm not sure how much that plays in. I, look, it's going to be contentious with the Providence Teachers Union regardless, right? And there had been some white superintendents. So, uh, but if she feels it, I certainly am not going to discount that. What, what is your take on all that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a persistent feeling for months now that there's this predominantly white teachers union that has been really persistently 
and aggressively going after the commissioner, especially on Twitter. And I think part of this is just the easy accessibility of it's at your fingertips. There's a lot of anonymous accounts that seem to be run by teachers because they're using similar language as, as Hint, the teacher no accounts. No followers on those accounts, well, right? It, it was just one of them that had no followers, but some of them do have followers that have been tweeting their um, displeasure with the commissioner and 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 you know valid criticism of the commissioner is obviously is obviously valid but it got to the point where there were um, there's been criticism that has had uh, racial undertones or even overtones at some point and so Jim Vincent from the NAACP spoke out about it last night um, saying this is unacceptable and the commissioner spoke out about it as well and she said you know it was disrespectful um, and I think the bottom line is she, like you said, she's in a contentious, contentious negotiation with the teachers union. She's apparently not going to be in the room anymore, which she has been throughout, which is a little bit unusual, actually, to have the commissioner in the room. She's not going to be doing that anymore. And listen, we still need a superintendent. They need to get this state turnaround back on track um, to move forward. And the other thing we forget, she runs the entire state. There's, you know, Providence has sucked up all the air in the room. She's had to deal yeah. with the pandemic. So it's Providence, Providence. But what about these test scores that seem to almost be forgotten, right, from, from a couple of years ago, which is why they brought her in? <clears throat> yeah, the, the Mayor Lars has been uh, expressing his frustration with the pace of the, the state uh, turnaround. Um, you know, he said the only reason he, he, gave, he, he agreed to the idea of a state takeover was uh, to address the, the contract and to use the Crowley Act to, to try to do something there. So, yeah, I, I think the pressure's on to try to do something in the next few months. I mean, I'm just I think you, you lose sort of sight of whether they're of what the substantive issues are in this fight between the teachers union and, and the state. Um, I mean, we, we hear seniority, but mm. I think the more this gets personal and kind of gets ugly, we keep getting further away from what are they actually debating and what are they negotiating and, and, and what is on the table? Is there something substantive about uh, how they're going to educate the students in Providence that's, that's actually being hashed out? I, I don't know the answer to that of what the, you know, what the main sticking point is or what the substantive issue is, but... Um, that's the thing that you really want to know of what what is the plan to turn this school district around, um, regardless of who's in control. Yeah, and there's an argument that they should just go to court. And because, listen, if they come down and they just break open the contract, which is what Mayor Lorza wants the state to do, the, the union's going to sue and this is going to end up in court anyway. So there's an argument out there that they should just go to court. Let's just go to court. Ask for a declaratory judgment. See what you can do to change the contract because if they're not, it's been two years, if they're, or almost two years, if they're not going to come to an agreement, you might as well just do that. And then, as Patrick said, then a lot more of it is going to be out in the open in terms of what they're proposing. And, you know, we hear dribs and drabs of what's going on in the negotiation room. A lot of it has to do with seniority, hiring and firing uh, teachers. But there's an argument out there that it's time to take some kind of action, which the commissioner says we should keep negotiating. And just adding to it is the other day in the in the Globe, the Hope High School principal, Matthew Buchanan, wrote an op-ed talking about how uh, leaders of color are leaving the district. And, you know, it's, it's just it seems like it, the district's in a 
uh, period of chaos right now. You know, it's funny. We had Bob Walsh on in your seat last week, and Dan McGowan was sitting where you were. And I said, why don't they just go in and bang heads and impose the contract? And I could hear Bob. He got he got stopped yeah. on a little bit. He goes, because they'll wind up in court. Oh, and, of course, they would, right? Right, they would. And a lot of people have said, you know, over the years, the age-old thing is, why don't we have negotiations out in the open? Now, I understand why we don't for some reason, but don't you think the taxpayers, not only in no Providence, doubt. but throughout the state, should really know what they're talking about? No doubt. And they're paying a mediator now, and so I haven't done the math about whether the legal fees of a court battle would cost more than the mediator. I suppose that they would, but... Yeah, we're talking about public money, a public contract. The contract will be public once it's hammered out, but negotiations are always private. And sometimes people start talking in public, and then the other side says, oh, you shouldn't negotiate in the press. But this is all public money that we're talking about here. So, you know, I think everyone should be willing to speak about it publicly. I remember covering teacher strikes years ago, back in the day when they actually had money. They would go on strike and then they would bring them into court. And I remember years ago, Warwick teachers went to jail and whatever. It it was an eye-opener for me. And I think for the public, they don't actually negotiate face-to-face. Well, at one point they room were... Room here, room here, and they go back and forth. I'm told they're back in the same room now, so I don't know if that's a sign of it, that it's improving. If but, I was the mediator, yeah. I'd put them in a room and say, no coolers, and you can't go to the bathroom until we get something done here, and let's move the process that's cruel, along. Hummel. Yeah, they would not like that. Um, there has been talk about uh, even, you know, would the, would the uh, commissioner resign and go? I know she's not... Uh, you know, she came in under Governor Raimondo. I get the feeling she wants to stay. I don't know how, how you feel about that. Almost like leaving would be a defeat and, you know, kind of caving to what the union is saying. Well, I think it surprised some people that she did stay and, and literally that a lot of the McKee cabinet have stayed. A lot, a lot of times when you get a change in governor, there's a, a much higher rate of turnover. And, um, you know, because she came in from New York, a lot of people expected that she might not stay uh, when, when McKee came in. Uh, but so, so she, it does seem like she really is invested in 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 Rhode Island and, and being here and is kind of dug in and doesn't doesn't want to see that as a as a defeat uh, or or leave before this is is resolved in some way. Well, and she has young kids too, so you know you don't want to uproot them. Um, I I think the same thing with the McKee administration. We know Janet Coit is moving on. Uh, Peter Alvini, you know, the, the DOTs kind of and the state police are always kind of separate from the changes that go on. I wonder if a couple of months from now we're going to see changes in, in cabinet. I mean, let, so let's get <clears> through the pandemic. Let's kind of get through the summer because he can't come in and blow up the entire thing in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Yeah, I think he's still getting his mind around some of the issues. Eleanor Slater is a whole situation he was handed. And um, so, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising to see some changes coming up. And I, I do think the commissioner wants to see this through, have some kind of finality to the turnaround before uh, she makes any any kind of move. But it was interesting the other day when the governor said, you know, as mayor in Cumberland, it didn't work to have the decision maker in the negotiations and to change that up and to grab the wheel a little bit more there. Well, and maybe free her up to do some other other stuff. Yeah. You Before we leave Providence, you had an interesting story on the charter school uh, situation. It's not only Providence, but a, a good deal of them are in the inner yeah. core. Of course, the legislature has passed the more. Where is it now? It's it's passed so one the, chamber. The Senate has passed a three-year moratorium on charter schools, which is retroactive to a bunch of charter schools that were preliminarily approved last summer and are getting ready to open this fall and are waiting on their final approvals. The Senate moratorium would block them. Um, but Governor McKee has very strongly said he'll veto it if it reaches his desk. So technically, it's I'm told it's still under consideration in the House, but it seems 
I mean, they need a two-thirds majority and have, to override a veto. They probably have to come veto. back in the fall, right? Because he might wait, veto it toward the end of the, depending on the timing on all right, of that. Right, they'd have right? to come back. It 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 seems unlikely that there's going to, that as it's written, the charter moratorium as it's written, being retroactive, is going to pass. I don't know if there's going to be some kind of compromise where the moratorium is only forward-looking instead of um, blocking the, the charters that are already in the pipeline. But the argument on the other side and that the Rhode Island Public Expenditure Council made this week was that there's this huge demand for charter seats. The charter schools have better test scores, although people say the test scores are not everything. Um, and they're serving, you know, majority urban core students that I, one of the stats that just blew me away from the report was that one-third of students in Central Falls are choosing to go to charter schools instead of the public schools. And maybe it would be more if they had these, if they had more seats, because there's a wait list. So that blew me away. And so I, the argument is that the, the, the demand is there. We should have these seats for these kids. Yeah. And, and then with going back to Providence, then there's also hanging out the Providence pension issue, which is, which is going to come right down the pipe at the same time. And it, it feels like Groundhog Day with Mayor Alorza asking for a pension fix at kind of the end of the legislative year. And I don't, I don't think it got a great... So set the table on that. He wants to bond it out, right? He, he wants, yeah, he wants to borrow, I believe it's $750 million to recapitalize the pension fund. Um, and, it, and there is risk to that because you're adding new borrowing costs. You're, you're basically relying on your investment turns to, to exceed uh, what those borrowing costs are going to be uh, in the long run. So I don't know that it got a great reception, another pension, big pension fix idea uh, at the end of the legislative session before we had selling the, the, the water, <laughs> Providence Water Authority. That didn't go over well. So there's, there's that hanging over <clears throat> Providence at the, at the same time. They're, deba they're debating the charter school issue, and then you have all these other school issues with the contract. Some of the Providence delegations behind it, but you're right. We're getting to the 11th hour, don't you think? Yeah, Mary Ellen Goodwin, I think, would be behind that. But as you saw at the press conference the other day, the governor said he thinks that would be like rolling the dice, and mm -hmm. he doesn't think there's time left in the session to do the do the uh, actuarial reports to see if that would make sense. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That that seems like a, a hail mary at this point. But uh, to, but to go back to uh, the RIPEC um, and school funding, you know, they all had also had a report a couple months ago about how. Maybe what the legislature needs to do is change the education funding formula to get it to places where it's needed the most, like one socket and some of the poorer districts. Well, and they also, your article had that, uh, and look, if you have a lot of money, it helps, that, okay, if it's going to really take money away from the public schools, maybe we have enough to be able to to yeah. give them a little bit more. But that, where's that going to be in the out years, right, for Right, money? right. The big argument is that if you, uh, is that because the money follows the student, if a, a lot of students are leaving the traditional public schools to go to charters, then the districts are going to be, you know, hollowed out and not have enough money for overhead and to keep the lights on. So they said, well, you could have some transitional money where it's, it's like a, a, a gradual, you, you, you give the districts more money, but then it would peter out. So as you mentioned, what would happen in the future, I think, is still undetermined. Okay. Uh, let's do, I got a couple other things, but let's go to uh, outrages and or kudos. Mr. Fitzpatrick, do you have something this week? Uh, you got a little grin over there. What's, uh, 
They, oh, you can always count on me for a, uh, an outrage about press freedom. So the most outrageous thing lately was how Belarus took a plane out of the sky <laughs> right. to, oh get a, to get a blogger who disagreed with the president. Uh, and so what, was the, what was the ruse? They said there was some... They said it was a bomb threat. Yeah. And now the last thing, like yesterday, he was, uh, uh, you know, in a... Torture's uh, chamber? Uh, yeah, the, the, had the spotlight on him, and he's saying, you know, I think the president's a great guy all of a sudden. So it's that's just outrageous. Hostage video. Uh, Patrick, what do you have? Well, I'll go, I'll go positive. I'll go kudos to the House for coming back um, and, and not staying at the vets. But it does raise the question of the Senate with still being at Rick. Um, I don't know. Are, are, are they going to be feel left out? Um, is, is the House going to kind of... I don't know, move in, take up more space. And uh, the Senate needs to come back and reclaim its turf um, for the end the of the... The snacks are too good out at Rick. Yeah. <laughs> no, but also, but you, but you raise a good point, because you know how the session goes at the end. There's a lot of walking back and forth. Well, are they going to do... Down are the they, hall. Are they going to do that remotely? Is that going to be the smoke-filled Zoom to, for, <laughs> of negotiations? Yeah, cigar. <laughs> Joe Sicarci sitting in the back with a cigar. That's, uh, that's a good one. Steph, what do you have? Well, you stepped on my outrage earlier when we started talking about the public access to the meetings, but I, it, I, I still haven't been able to get it through my head that... We've lifted all restrictions. You can go to a nightclub, unlimited capacity, rub shoulders with 100 strangers, but you cannot go watch your local elected officials talk about the issues in public, in a room, and speak to them face-to-face. You know, you can, t- so you can testify on the phone in certain pl- situations or, or sometimes testify on Zoom, but uh, you have to leave the state house by 3 o'clock before they start doing anything. So that, to me, just still doesn't square. We've also heard the sto- horror stories in some of the districts that, uh, oh, we're having technical difficulties when they start asking tough questions. <laughs> or you you have a minute. So, like, if you sneeze, there goes, like, five <laughs> seconds of your time. Yeah, yeah, the technical difficulties remain, and they exist, and, and um, there's nothing like a face-to-face conversation, I think. We have just a couple minutes left. Let me stay with you. You've done a lot of reporting on the legalized. We don't want to call you the pot girl, but, you know. I'm a cannabis reporter. Cannabis, that's right. Are they going to point you to the Cannabis Commission? <laughs> no, that doesn't sound fun at all. Um, I'll keep just so, it. so where is it? We were talking earlier this season, and now it looks, uh, earlier in the session, it now really looks like it's going to get pushed off, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's remarkable where we've, where we've come, right? Because the, last year the argument was still about should we legalize? That's not the argument anymore at all. It's just how should we do it? Yeah, that just kind of skipped over now, the, right? There was a lot of momentum at the beginning of the session. Senate leadership got on board. They put forward a proposal. Governor McKee put forward a proposal. Um, the sticking point at the moment is how Who's going to have oversight? Should it be this independent cannabis control commission, which is what Massachusetts does, where it's a five-member panel that's doling out the licenses and, and deciding how many to give out and who should get them? and Or should it stay with the Department of Business Regulation, where they're doing it now, where they sort of have an established staff, they have inspectors, they have lawyers, they're they're and they crack down on any sort of wrongdoing or impropriety. So that's where we're at, where Governor McKee seems like he wants to keep it in DBR. So they need to come to some kind of compromise. Um, And there's also a new House bill that just got introduced last week. That also would keep it in DBR. So they need to come to an agreement about that. And I just don't, I don't see any huge urgency from any of the players to, Do you recall if it got written into the budget this year? Do they did. any money? So yeah. they'll they'll have to figure that out because the yeah. money's not going to come, right? Yeah. Got all but that's not a that's not a problem. I mean, and then but then below that of of all of the procedural questions of of who controls this of the decision making is then who actually controls the plants and who gets to sell? How will that impact 
who has the dispensaries, who gets to open the stores. And yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, it would be a really interesting way for legalization not to happen, for everyone to agree that right. it has to happen. That's kind of the galaxy brain way to kill it if that does happen. But I have heard that there is a new push to kind of make sure something happens and that we don't get to that point by the people who want Who it. controls the plants? That's the, uh, that's <laughs> the uh, headline. 30 seconds, Ed, on that? Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a deal breaker for the budget, but I, I, I do think it's interesting that uh, Rep. Slater's bill and the, some of the progressive legislators are pushing for the social equity part of it to kind of make up for the war on drugs and expunge the records of those convicted marijuana uh, nonviolent offenses. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it in that regard. Okay, folks, it is a quick 30 minutes. Thank you for joining us. Ed and Patrick and staff, some of the best in the business. Honored to have you on the set. Get out there and do your jobs, hopefully in person uh, soon. Folks, thank you for coming uh, and joining us every week at Lively. We're heading into a busy session at the legislature. We'll see what goes on in the next couple of weeks, and we'll have it covered for you. Come back next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week. is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.